The gospel is intended to save men from the wreckage of civilization. He hasn't called us to a social gospel. That doesn't mean we don't care about social needs. It's difficult to preach the gospel to a hungry stomach. But the gospel we preach concerns the death, burial, and the resurrection and deliverance from the eternal wrath of Almighty God. And there are many social engineers in our day who are like men on the Titanic rearranging the chairs and shining the brass as it's headed down into the waters. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled in his series titled, God's Prophetic Schedule. We are living in days of increasingly moral and political darkness. And have you ever wondered what it would be like for God's people in the last days? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Through biblical exposition, Dr. Brogy will articulate the climate and character of the last days. Today's sermon is entitled, The Signs of the Times, and we will be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-9. through 9. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, the third chapter. If you're joining us for the first time before we begin our next verse-by-verse exposition of a book of the Bible, God has put it in my heart to do a series, and I am entitling this series, God's Prophetic Schedule. And as you can see from your bulletin outline, today's message is the signs of the times. Now, we are living in challenging times. In fact, our passage tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that these are the last days, that these are difficult times, that these are dangerous days. And I believe with all my heart that the sands of time is running low. And God is coming back, maybe sooner than we realize, to catch up, to snatch up his church. Now, I've preached the Bible for a long time. And as a student of the Word of God, I believe that God is preparing the world for Jesus to step out of heaven and come back, first to catch up his church, then to rule and reign for a thousand years. Just know that this world, this planet that we're living in, is on a collision course with judgment and with disaster. See, the function of the gospel is not to try to save civilization from wreckage. This world is headed to wreckage. In fact, ultimately, as we looked at in our last session together, God is going to take the whole planet and burn it with fire and create a new heavens and a new earth. The gospel is intended to save men from the wreckage of civilization. He hasn't called us to a social gospel. That doesn't mean we don't care about social needs. It's difficult to preach the gospel to a hungry stomach. But the gospel we preach concerns the death, burial, and the resurrection and deliverance from the eternal wrath of Almighty God. And there are many social engineers in our day who are like men on the Titanic rearranging the chairs and shining the brass as it's headed down into the waters. And so God has given us much prophecy. Some would say as much as a third of the Bible. Dr. Walford would always tell us one third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. And the fact is, is that most of the prophecies in the New Testament and the Old Testament have yet to be fulfilled. 
Now, the fact that God literally actually fulfilled over 300 of them concerning the first coming of the Messiah is a reminder that this is the only book God write, but two, that he will fulfill them in the exact same way. And so this morning, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to begin by reading our passage. Follow along. I'm reading from the New American Standard beginning now in verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Now remember, when Paul writes this letter, he's not under house arrest. He's in a dirty, dark, damp Roman prison. He's already been condemned, and he is soon to be executed. This is his last will and testament that he writes to Timothy before he is beheaded. And he writes under the shadow of execution, knowing that he has poured his life into the preaching of the gospel for 30 years. And he's writing this letter basically to ask and answer, what will happen after I am gone? Who will carry on the message of salvation? Now, he knows from a divine point of view, the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. But from a human point of view, God uses courageous men and women to pull it off. And so he wants to put some spiritual steel, not just into Timothy's spine, who will read this letter initially, but to all who will study it in the centuries to follow. So knowing that the opposition is strong, knowing that the days are evil, he is underscoring Timothy's need and by application and extension our need to be faithful with the gospel. The things that you have heard from me, Timothy, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's not a verse on discipleship as it is often used out of context today. It's a verse to Timothy reminding him that he is to work with other pastors, men who are gifted and anointed of God who are, have the ability to teach the word of God. That's why I was away last weekend. It was a pleasure to be with a young pastor and to just a fellowship with him and to build into his life and he into mine. And so God wants to prepare Timothy to run the race well all the way to the end. And so he tells him about these last days, first the climate of the last days, that is what will, what will it be like for God's people, and then as we'll see in just a moment, the characters of the last day, who will be causing this climate? So let's first begin with the climate of the last days. 
Verse 1 begins, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And he underscores two truths from this verse. First, that we are living in the last days. That's point A on your outline. We are living in the last days. Now, I think it would be helpful for us to define this biblical phrase, the last days, because sometimes people will ask me and they'll say, well, Pastor Carl, do you believe that we're living in the last days? And my short answer is, well, it all depends on what you mean by the last days. It may seem natural to apply this term last days to that future time just before Jesus comes back from heaven. But in the Bible, it has a much broader usage. As you read the New Testament, it's obvious that the apostles believed that they were living in the last days. That a new age had arrived with the last days. That the old deal, the Old Testament, the old covenant was passing away. And what God had promised, what God's people had been looking for for thousands of years had come and the last days had arrived. That's why the apostle Peter on the birthday of the church on Pentecost can stand up and say in Acts 2, but this, what they had just witnessed, the miracle of 15 different languages and dialects being spoken, nothing like what we see today. It was an outward miracle of the inward promise of the new covenant that God would put the spirit within them. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. So Peter believed that he was in the last days as seen by this external manifestation of the indwelling promise of the spirit. In similar fashion, the writer of the Hebrews opens his epistle with these words. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And so this being so, the New Testament, with the birthday of the church, with the arrival of Jesus on the planet, tells us that we are in the last days. And we who are living in this day tend to think, well, the last days happens at the end of the age. Well, that's one aspect of it because we are in the last days. And one of the questions that it would be more appropriate to ask is, are we in the last of the last days? And if we are, how would we know? Well, again, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture And understand that the days that we are in, beginning on Pentecost, was different from all the other days because up until that time, it was just a promise. But now the promise had been fulfilled. But as we'll see in our passage this morning, some of the character traits of the last days that were not only evident in Timothy's day, are evident in our day, but the differences he will underscore in verse 13 is that these character traits will go from bad to worse. That the very things that Timothy saw would get worse. Timothy knew he was in the last days. Otherwise, Paul's instruction would make no sense to him. He says, here's what the men of the last days will be like. And he'll say, we just read it, avoid such men as these. So he knew that the last days had begun in his day, but there is indeed a future dimension to it. A second reason we know that we are in the last days is because the return of Jesus for his church is imminent. 
When we speak of the imminent return of Christ, that means he can come back at any moment. Now, sadly, today, not all Christians believe in the imminent return. They say, well, there's all kinds of prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the second coming to take place. They are post-tribulationalists. They say the church will be here for the great tribulation. Then Jesus will come back. But that, that doesn't dovetail with the New Testament. And so you have another category realizing that doesn't dovetail with the New Testament, but also historically in their theology denying any future for Israel, they say, well, the tribulation period, the Antichrist, all those things, that was all fulfilled in the first century. R.C. Sproul was one such guy. Good man, loved him. Alistair Begg, play him on our radio station, love the man. But they're amillennialists. They believe there's no future literal rule and reign of Jesus on the earth. So the next event is the second coming, and it's all wrapped up. Well, listen, how did God fulfill the prophecies concerning the first coming? Actually, literally, just as he said. So when he said Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, he's born in Bethlehem. When it says he'd be pierced through for our iniquities, he was pierced through, crucified on a cross. Over 300 prophecies literally fulfilled. And so you have to apply a different principle of interpretation called a hermeneutic when it comes to end times prophecy to come up with amillennialism. I was speaking to an amillennialist recently, and I said, well, listen. He was listening to this sermon by Vadi Bauckham. I said, look, I love Vadi Bauckham. Invited him to preach here one time. Couldn't get him. But he's an amillennialist. And I said, so what would Vadi do when the scripture says there's going to be a river that flows from the Temple Mount all the way to the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea will be so fresh that it will be filled with fish and men will be able to fish in it. Well, people spiritualize that. And they say, well, you know, the Dead Sea, it's like this dead world and we're fishers of men. No, the prophecies concerning the second coming will be fulfilled in the exact same way. So the rapture happens first. It's called the catching up of the church. The harpazo, people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Neither is the word Bible in the Bible. Neither is the word Trinity in the Bible. But the idea that God is going to catch up the church from the Latin translation of the Bible used for a thousand years, we get our English word rapture. And so the Bible teaches of the imminent return of Christ, that he could come at any moment, that nothing prophetically has ever needed to be fulfilled for the rapture. So in that sense, we're in the last days. Now, the second coming is a prophetically driven event. All kinds of things have to happen. So first he comes in the air. Jesus made that great promise in the upper room. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, he's in heaven. You may be also. He's going to take us there. And it could happen one of these days, maybe again sooner than we realize. People say, well, wait a minute. The gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. That's true if you're a post-millennialist. I mean, if you're a, a post-tribulationalist and you eliminate the rapture, the catching up of the church before the tribulation. Nothing has to happen for the rapture. In fact, if you look at that verse, and we will later in this series, God willing, contextually, he's talking about the great tribulation period when the gospel will go out to the whole world and every tribe, tongue, and nation will be converted and then Jesus' second coming 
will take place. So all kinds of things have to happen for the second coming. There has to be a one world global economy. There has to be a one world ruler. There has to be a rebuilt temple in the Temple Mount that will be defiled. And God is setting the stage for those days. In fact, as you look at the prophecy for the second coming, most of it all centers around Israel. And so when seemingly nothing happened for 18 or 1900 years, the church concluded what Catholics taught, that they were the new Israel. And God was done with the Jewish people. And yet again, you have to spiritualize scripture. Listen to what Moses wrote 1400 years before Christ. Deuteronomy 4.27. Both Moses and the Lord Jesus, by the way, predicted not only the scattering of the Jewish people, but their regathering. The Lord, Yahweh, will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. Jesus taught the same thing in Luke chapter 21, that after his departure, he predicted the destruction of the temple and the scattering of the Jewish people. And they, he said, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive, where? Into all the nations. So we're not talking about the Babylonian captivity or the Assyrian captivity. We're talking about a scattering, and those two were history when Jesus writes this, into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And it happened, just as Jesus said, beginning in 70 A.D. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, at the end of his life, Moses gave a similar warning. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 4, if your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you and from there he will bring you back. I just read from Deuteronomy 4, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, among the nations. But then a few verses later in Deuteronomy 4, he says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress, this is when it's going to happen. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. We call it in the New Testament, the great tribulation. In this time of worldwide distress, the Jewish people are gonna wake up. When you are in distress and all these things happen to you in the latter days. Now the term last days is different from latter days and latter times. As you work through those phrases in the Old Testament, the latter times, the last days, refers to that time frame at the end of the age before the second coming of the Messiah when he comes to rule and reign. In the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 identifies that time frame as the great tribulation, as does Jesus, as does the Revelation. So who would have ever dreamed that in May of 1948, Israel would become a nation after nearly 1,900 years? Who would have imagined the permissiveness of Noah's day being so widespread in America and the perversion of Lot's day having such a platform? And so we are living at the end of the age. Dr. Walverd, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, the president at the time, he said, Israel is the super sign. It's the super prophecy. Harry Ironside, whom I never met, but I listened to a number of his messages as a new believer. When Israel became a nation in 1948, he said it was like I would go to bed every night with my eyes open. 
He just lived with an expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. And these guys who had been mocked and laughed at, along with others four or five hundred years before that since the Protestant Reformation, who didn't follow the anti-Semitism of Luther or Calvin, they were verified as believing the actual truth. So while the sins that are described in this section of Scripture were true in Timothy's day, and they were true a thousand years ago, and they were true a hundred years ago, the Bible warns us that they will intensify at the end of the age. If you remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, because lawlessness is increased, in the American Standard Version, 1901, which is the predecessor to the text that most of you have in your laps this morning, it says, when lawlessness is multiplied. In other words, as we move into the end of the age, sin is going to increase, it's going to multiply. And most people's love, and we, when we study this, God willing, we will see contextually, he's talking about the church. Most people's love will grow cold. So you need to pay attention this morning. Because we often think, well, this isn't me. This is somebody else. The Lord Jesus warns that at the end of the age, most people's love, speaking of his people, are growing to, it's going to grow cold. And so Paul will remind Timothy here in verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed, how? From bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, in the fullest sense, the birth pangs of Matthew 24 happens when the water breaks. And the water breaks when this church is ruptured, and the rupture will begin with the rapture. Jesus will come and remove his people. All of the restraining influence of the church, the Spirit of God in the church will be removed, and sin will have a holiday, and sin will spread like never before. But when you put all these factors together, while no one knows the day or the hour, we do know we are in that time frame that we are at the end of the age. You say the end of the world? No, the Bible never uses the phrase the end of the world. Now, a few old translations did, but the New King James doesn't because it's the word for age, the end of an age. The world will never end in the truest sense and that the Bible teaches we go from age to age to age and there's a coming new age when God will create a new heaven and a new earth. But we do know at the end of the age, the super sign will be fulfilled. The permissiveness and perversion of Noah's and Lot's day will be in place. And added to that, as we did a whole message on it, there'll be gross apostasy. So we are living in the last days. Secondly, we also learn we are living in difficult times. We are living in difficult times. Let's keep re reading, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The King James renders it, perilous times shall come. Ever since the birthday of the church, we have been living in perilous and difficult times. And church history certainly confirms that. And the word for difficult or perilous is used outside of the Bible of a vicious wild beast. It's only found in one other place in all the New Testament, and it's used to describe the Gerardine demoniac. Remember him? There was two of them, but one who was highlighted over the other, who was in chains, and he was a madman, and he was vicious, and people were terrified of that man. Same word used here. They were exceedingly violent so that no one could pass by that road. So this gives us an idea of the seasons 
of what the times will be like before Jesus comes back. And we are living in days of increasingly moral, political, international darkness. There's a rapid decline. And so Paul wants Timothy to understand from verse 13, while these traits have always been true, these traits will not be uniformly true. Just like the New Testament teaches that Messiah came into a very dark world. He did. That's what the prophets wrote. He'd be like a light shining in darkness. When Jesus came into the Roman Greco culture, it was a dark, evil, idolatrous, immoral culture. But the light of the gospel changed that. At the end of the age, it's going to repeat itself because the church becomes lukewarm. Its ability to salt righteousness and dispel darkness with its light will be dissipated and evil will grow. Not because it has to, but because of choices people are making as they listen to the culture and to the spirit of the age. And so, again, as we work through this passage of scripture, I want you to realize that difficult times will come. Now, wait a minute. Why does he command him to realize, another translation says, understand? It seems obvious. I mean, what is there to realize? It's right in front of my eyes, Paul. You're in prison for preaching the gospel. You're about to get beheaded. Timothy also knew that everyone in Asia had deserted Paul with the exception of the household of Anesiphorus. So why does he need to realize what he apparently already knows? I think Paul is reminding him for two reasons. First, to emphasize that this is not some passing fancy. This is a permanent characteristic of the age. And second... That is, he will underscore in verse 13, it's not going to get better, it's going to go from bad to worse. So those, that's the climate of the last days. Secondly, there in your outline, I want us to think through a little bit about the characters of the last days. The characters, who are the players, so to speak? Well, in verse 2, Paul immediately goes on to say, for men will be. Now, the word men here is anthropos. It's the all-inclusive word. You could say men and women, or some translations say people. People will be. So he's describing people. Difficult times will come because people, men and women, will be self-centered. And so while I'm not underestimating the fallen nature of man, many times we love to blame things on the devil that he has nothing to do with. James 1.13 says people are often carried away just by their own fallen evil lust. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it or a demon made me do it. Now, certainly there are three uh, forces that wage war against the believer that if you've been through the discovery class, we examine those in great depth. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and they work together. The devil may inspire one Hollywood producer to create an evil movie that will grab people's attentions and it will feed the sin nature. So they intersect with one another. But Paul wants Timothy to understand that while our fallen nature is very much at work, there's a spiritual battle going on. Join us tomorrow for part two of The Signs of the Times. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- 787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 008. 
Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week Monday as we continue to Search the Scriptures.